Hello and welcome to School of Batman. We ask scientists and researchers to use their expertise to help Batman in his quest against crime. I'm your host, Chris Blumson, amateur scientist and professional Batman enthusiast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing Bruce's Batbot Army. An aging Bruce Wayne sits solemnly in the Batcave, thinking of the future. The nights are harder, the hits take longer to heal, and crime is only growing both in Gotham and around the world. No man can be everywhere at once, but as an idea. A late night call to Lucius Fox, head of Wayne Tech, reveals some surprising innovations that may finally make the possibility of the long-held dream of a global Batbot army tantalizingly achievable. In this week's School of Batman, we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Paul Coxon. Paul has a PhD in quantum dot slash nanodiamonds and a master's in physics specialising in experimental physics from Newcastle University and is currently a postdoctoral research associate in the departments of material science and metallurgy at the University of Cambridge. So Paul, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I am good, thanks. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, as I say, for joining us. And uh, we've, we've had our Batman story there. Um, but before we dig into the specifics of that, we'd like to kind of get down to some of the fundamentals of um, people's research, how they got there. Um, and then we talk about the application afterwards. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, your, your PhD, which is, sounds tremendously interesting, of quantum dot slash nano diamonds and tell us about what that means. Oh, it's such a long time ago now. Um, but I, I started out as a theoretical physicist, actually, and I gradually became more experimental because I, I like to do lots of things in the lab and building things. Um, What's the delineation between theoretical and experimental in physics? Uh, well, lots of theoretical stuff. You're often based in offices, working on computers, coding, running simulations, um, modelling crystal structures, how they behave. Um, I rather like to be in the lab and actually doing things with real items, playing with a kit. Um, which uh, so I gradually became more of an experimentalist. But my PhD was on what we call quantum dots or, or nanocrystals. These are made of semiconductors. Uh, so this is sort of halfway between a metal and an insulator. And so when you make something very small, um, the surface properties dominate. So how a material behaves at the surface, that's where all the interesting stuff happens. That is different to how a material might behave, its properties when you're inside the bulk of the material. So when you make something very small, the surface properties dominate. And you can find that when you make semiconductors into tiny, tiny, tiny clusters, maybe only about 100 atoms in all, you can get new properties that you don't observe at large scale. And these have interesting applications, sort of, not only from a fundamental aspect, just to look at the new science, but also applications in drug treatment, drug delivery, new electronics and coatings and you can apply these for renewable energy. Is that sort of like the difference between a french fry and an oven chip where where it's got more surface area on the oven chip and then they have kind of different properties when you combine with what's going on underneath it? Yeah, um, or you, you could say more like a baked potato and um, a potato croquette. So you make sort of the fried things smaller 
the surface becomes a bigger proportion and you get weird new properties. So one of the things which happens with um, silicon when you make it smaller, uh, it can give out light um, at room temperature. So you can sort of get a normal piece of silicon, what you always have lying around in your lab, just a piece of wafer of silicon. Uh, you can shine a UV light on it and nothing much happens. But if you make it much, much, much smaller, down to a nanoscale cluster, uh, you can find that these clusters give out a very, very bright colour, often a very specific wavelength of light. And we can change the colour by just changing the size of these clusters. So it's a way of tuning the emission spectrum, you have very bright red, orange, almost green, um, by changing the size of these particles. You can tune them further by changing the coatings on these clusters as well. So I did my PhD on, on looking at these materials. So there's two ways in which you can make nanomaterials. You can have a top-down way, where you start with your bulk material, like a block of marble, and you chip away, chip, chip, chip away, till you get either your statue or your tiny, tiny cluster. Or you can have a bottom-up way, where you can use uh, chemical reagents and seeds to gently grow your clusters from single atoms. So I used the top-down method using wafers which we etched in some rather unpleasant acids and it gives the surface a very very tiny spiky surface, it goes orange, uh, then you do some chemical treatments of these surfaces and these little tiny spikes break off and then we would cap them to protect the silicon core and then we do all sorts of experiments with these. It was, was really great fun. I got to travel around Europe quite a lot during my PhD to very large x-ray facilities to understand the bonding and chemistry of these things. So gradually through my PhD I became less of a physicist and more of a chemist. Let's move on to some of the work that you're doing now here in your role in the Department of Material Science and Metallurgy at the University of Cambridge. Uh, I'm not familiar with what the word metallurgy means. Would you be able to describe what that means? Metallurgy? Well, um, we were originally the Department of Metallurgy and Material Science. Uh, so as the name might suggest, it's to do with uh, the physical and chemical properties of metals metallic elements and alloys, so things like steel, iron, titanium, uh, but gradually over time as the discipline of material science became bigger to include all different materials, our name got swapped around, so now we're the Department of Material Science and Metallurgy. What is the work you're doing at the moment? Well, my work is sort of following a rather wobbly path from my PhD, previous fellowship, and research that I've been developing here in Cambridge. I've become more of a chemist. I work in molten salt um, research. So this is a, an unusual area of electrochemistry using salt, like we would have on your kitchen table, um, which we melt until it becomes a liquid. And when you have a liquid salt, uh, you can use this material to conduct ions and charged particles and do all sorts of wonderful interesting things. We don't just use kitchen salt, that's your sodium chloride, we do a lot of advanced chemistry on mixing different salt reagents, tuning the properties of these liquids, the temperature they melt at, um, you can sort of filter out 
which ions can pass through the liquids, whether you have oxygen or sodium or lithium. And you can do all sorts of interesting uh, applications with these liquids. They're at very high temperature, um, but we can bring down the temperature to relatively cool temperatures. They're hot, but they're sort of handleable. And so we use these processes to make all kinds of different materials. So I originally started out working again with silicon. If you have a, a wafer of silicon with an oxide on the top, so it's silicon and oxygen together. So what we do is we remove the oxygen from the surface of the silicon oxide. Um, it bubbles away and what happens is the salt so we use calcium chloride salt which you might know is the salt that goes on your roads in winter time very cheap material we melt that we pass a current through the wafer the oxygen gets removed and the salt burrows into the surface the atoms burrow into the surface and it gives the silicon a very 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 spiky shape so you've changed the shape of the silicon and this gives it interesting optical properties. So my early research has been in solar energy, so developing materials that can trap light very efficiently. Um, so most of the solar panels that you have on your roof are probably made from silicon, but silicon's not really that good at absorbing light. It reflects about 40% of the sun's sunlight. Uh, so we have to apply various treatments and processes onto the solar cells so they can absorb more light and you get more electricity out. Um, you can apply chemical coatings or you can texturize the surface. You can give it a rough texture under a very powerful microscope. It looks like velvet or lots and lots of tiny spiky needles. And these shapes help the light to be channeled into the material. So during my time in Cambridge, I've been developing, working on one of the blackest materials on earth essentially. It can absorb well over 99.9% .9 of all sunlight so when it comes out of the reactor it looks extremely black, it's quite scary um, and this is all entirely due to the surface of the material. I've seen some images of that, could you give the name of that for our listeners so they'd be able to go and have a look at it because it's phenomenal. The material is, is very imaginatively called black silicon. Okay easy to google um that, that, that that's a nice uh, kind of segue into going back into how we may be able to help um batman here creating his army of robots so to create his army of batbots he's going to need a way of keeping them powered um so we can carry on talking about some of those solar panels um but also he's going to need a lot of different types of metals and materials which previous, previously may have been quite difficult to find or quite difficult to make. Um, so can, we, can you just carry on talking a little bit about how some of your innovations may be able to help empower these backbots? But then if we could move on to talking about how we can help him out with the raw materials uh, that he needs to make these bots and how uh, your research can assist. So some of our work uses silicon as an additive into rechargeable batteries. So we all have uh, mobile phones, uh, which are usually powered by these lithium rechargeable batteries, which are great. Um, if you imagine a battery is rather like a sandwich, so you've got the bread, which are the electrodes, the anode and the cathode. 
In the middle you have a, a filling which is the electrolyte and you generally charge the battery up by shoving a lot of electrons or often uh, lithium ions into one side of the sandwich and then they drift around, drift through to the other side when the battery gets used. So you have to basically shove charges from one side to the other. Um, it's very, very complicated chemistry. Essentially a battery is a, not only is it a sandwich, it's almost like a frustrated chemical bomb. It has a lot of power in there, but we have to use it in a very controlled way. Just trickle out the energy very slowly, very regularly um, to power our devices. You, you've completely changed my mind as to how I look at batteries now with that sentence. That's amazing. There's a huge amount of research going on all around the world about batteries. Um, there's many different kinds of flavours and chemistries and architectures of batteries using different materials in different ways. It's a very slow, gradual process. So the, the capacity, the, the amount of energy which you can store in your battery is going up, it's getting better, but it's very, very slow because there's a lot of stuff to take into consideration. All the different materials working together uh, in, in the most efficient way possible. One of the materials which there's a lot of research in is, is using silicon. Um, silicon has um, a very, very high uh, energy capacity. It can, it can form four uh, chemical bonds. So this means you can it can store a lot of energy. It's very great for for batteries. Um, but one of the problems is if you use uh, silicon materials in rechargeable batteries, when you charge the battery up, the material expands. The crystal, the silicon crystal, expands by about 300% in volume. Um, and when you discharge it, it shrinks. When you recharge it again, it expands. And then when you discharge it, it shrinks again. So over many, many charge cycles, the battery material breaks down. So this is a problem. So on one hand, silicon has this fantastic property of being able to store lots and lots of energy. But on the other hand, it has this undesirable property that eventually the material breaks down. So we've been working on new shapes of silicon derived from our black silicon, which seem to get over this problem of the material breaking apart and breaking down. So we've got some batteries which are being tested now, we've been running them for quite a while and the batteries are seeming to be performing extremely well with very long lifetimes. Uh, so this is a really interesting area of research and it's entirely due to the shape of the silicon. Wonderful, so that's the, the batteries and the, the kind of power taken care of. Um, can anything in, within your research help actually get new like access to maybe more difficult to come by materials or, or help with the materials to actually make these bat bots themselves? So I don't know if you've ever seen Ghostbusters. Whenever they wanted to defeat the ghosts, they would usually reverse the polarity. And that's what we did with our black silicon. So we found that by reversing the polarity in our reactors with which we make the black silicon, so essentially just turning the, the negative electrode positive and the positive electrode negative, we essentially run the reaction backwards. So instead of having your material and removing the oxygen and leaving your product behind, your black silicon or whatever it could be, We've been doing some research where you take minerals which contain very important metals, metal elements like titanium. 
and we use this material and we turn it into an electrode. We actually have a big rod made of this material. It contains lots of titanium and you put it in a different molten salt and you run the reaction backwards. So instead of pulling away your oxygen, you pull out your metal and the metal ions come out of the electrode. They swim through the salt and we collect them on another electrode nearby and they're in a powder, a very very tiny powder of titanium and they stick rather like candy floss on this electrode and we can pluck them out and you get incredibly pure titanium because just by balancing the um, potential difference across the two electrodes you can just pluck out the titanium and leave all the impurities behind. So we've been exploiting this method uh, which we've developed as a way of getting titanium out of low-grade minerals. These are very cheap materials, have very little value, very low amount of titanium and we've been processing these materials in a sustainable way. The process is, doesn't use very much energy, not much uh, acids or very dangerous chemicals. We can get the titanium out very successfully to an extremely high degree of purity. And this lends itself to lots of applications for making machine components, uh, aeroplanes or, or even bat suits. So the, these processes and things that you're working on now to help us get access to these kind of metals more easily are they coming into starting to affect the commercial world yet are they starting to come into production or are they that bleeding edge they haven't been adopted or there is some research which is now becoming commercially viable um, there's a large spin-out company in the north of england which um, sprang to life from our research group they're working at large scale um, working on titanium powders and other complex materials the research is still going on because they thought it was very hard to do. So there's still quite a lot of research to do in order to make the material consistent in terms of the purity and the shape. Um, we can also make interesting alloys of the material. So by making these new materials we can understand more about how these materials behave and um, examine applications for them. Um, so there is some commercial activity in this area. Uh, a little bit in Europe and quite a lot in China because China has a lot of mineral reserves close at hand. China and, and other countries are now looking to examine the resources that we have not only around the world, we all need materials basically everything that we have is essentially comes from something dug out of the ground not only our food but all of the metals and materials that make the metals and the oil that makes the plastic it all comes from the ground um, so how we can get these things out of the ground better, more efficiently, in a less environmentally damaging way is a huge area of research. Um, but the moon has got an awful lot of possible minerals uh, which could be useful in the future. So who knows, we might be putting our reactors on the moon. So thanks to Paul and his team's innovations, finally Bruce can achieve his dream of a global bat bar army, self-powered with enough materials and done in an environmentally friendly way to keep crime at bay. So thanks very much for joining us, Paul. Thank you very much. If you'd like to find out more about him and his work, you can find him on Twitter at Paul Coxon 
and that link will be in the description. If you'd like to be a future guest on the podcast, please email us at info at figshare.com and you can find us on Twitter at School of Batman.